New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. on Total Soccer Show, our weekly deep dive into a news story that's causing a stir in the beautiful game. Today, we're focusing our attention on a massive Premier League club that's currently performing well below expectation. Stand down, Chelsea fans. We're talking today about <laughs> Liverpool. After taking the helm at Anfield in 2015, Jurgen Klopp brought Liverpool back to the glory days, the likes of which they haven't seen since they were an 80s powerhouse, delivering three Champions League finals, an FA Cup and a long-awaited first ever Premier League title. This season, however, the Reds just aren't clicking. As we record, going into the 29th league game of the season, Liverpool sit in eighth, seven points away from the top four, with nine losses on the season and no league wins in their last three outings. Uh, They're out of domestic cups uh, where uh, they were also unceremoniously dumped from the Champions League by Real Madrid too, lest we forget. So, what has gone wrong for Liverpool this season? Do they need a rebuild? Is it time to put an end to Jurgen Klopp's tenure? And where does the famous Mersey club go from here? My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, we have Mr. Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. Hello, Ryan. We also have Graham Ruthven. Hi, Graham. Hello, Ryan Bailey. I was going to do it in a Scouse accent there, but I thought I better not. <laughs> hey, Marty, calm down, calm down, Graham. Oh, there we right, go. All right, all right, all right. Um, no Taylor Rockwell joining us in this one. He is still uh, off sick. Taylor, we wish you very well. We shall march on, however. Graham, let's set the table here. Liverpool have not had a good season, although, you know, not not terrible at home and I've got Arsenal coming up mm. this weekend as we recalled I kind of fancy them to get a result in that one maybe we can talk about that in our Patreon later on but um, by their standards of course very poor lest we forget this team nearly won four trophies last season and now yeah. all they've got on the table is a potential top four spot if they get their butts mm-hmm. in gear yeah it's, it's undeniable that there has been a massive drop off from Liverpool this season There are all sorts of contradictions with Liverpool at the moment, like the fact that their record against the Big Six this season is actually very good, and there was also that 7-0 thumping of Manchester United. This is a team that can still produce great moments, but if we look at the big picture, there's no denying it has been an underwhelming season for them. And the starkest illustration of this has come in their away form in the Premier League, where they have picked up just 13 points from 15 league games this season. That's the same number of points that bottom of the table Southampton have picked up away from home this season. As you referenced, Ryan, their their home form is actually still pretty decent. They're sitting fourth in the table in that regard. But the away form has just undercut everything else, and it's impossible to ignore the signs of decline 
across this team from the midfield, which I'm sure we'll go into more depth on that, to the defence, to even players like Mohamed Salah facing a bit of criticism this season from some of his own fans. So, yes, Liverpool are still, as I say, a team capable of, of winning big games, of scoring goals, of producing big moments, but the inconsistency across the season is undeniable. Joe, why Liverpool bad? <laughs> um, th- we can dig into all of these things over the course of the episode. If you want like a major macro big picture, <laughs> we talked about this a little bit on a listener questions episode, I think back in January. And I went back in, did my research for this first, then went back in and looked at the cliff notes of what I had there. And I, I think it pretty much all holds up. They've stabilized in some ways in, in some you know, particular situations. But in general, if we're going to break it down into a few categories, injuries is the first one. They've dealt with a lot of injuries this year, and that's difficult for any club at the extent to which Liverpool have dealt with injuries this year. Uh, They're still a very good attacking team, but they have dropped off a bit in that way. I think some of that is personnel-related. Some of that, though, also stems from their defensive issues. We talked earlier in the year about how gappy Liverpool are in transition back in January, and this was in my notes. They allowed the the um, you know most XG from opposing counterattacks. Like that was back in January. I would imagine that has changed slightly since then. We don't have access to that data, at least not that I could find. But I mean that's a lot. And and for a Jurgen Klopp team that's built to thrive in transition and and built to control games with the ball now as well as he sort of shifted his tactical ideology to fit Liverpool's quality level. Like that's a massive problem. And then there's the fact that maybe teams have figured them out a little bit because Liverpool's blueprint, especially with their fullback play, with where their forwards are positioned, some rotations out of midfield, like teams know what to expect, or they did. Now I'm not even sure that Jurgen Klopp knows entirely what to expect because, and this is something that maybe we'll touch on more later when we talk about personnel, like some of their newest signings, some of their biggest signings, Darwin Nunez, Cody Gakpo, both have come over the last year or so. Like, these players are kind of positional nomads. Like, they don't fit in the same very clear, cookie-cutter, almost 4-3-3 shape where you have a 9 that's going to drop in, whether that's Firmino or Jata. Occasionally, you'd see Mane or Salah up there as the 9 being more direct. But you have that profile in the number 9 spot most often as almost an extra central midfielder. The forwards stay narrow, although Salah has a little bit more flexibility on the right side to do what he wants in Liverpool's heyday. And then you have the fullbacks, Trent Alexander-Arnold, that's going to stay a little bit deeper, a little bit more inside. He's going to whip balls into the box. Robertson's going to overlap on the left side. The midfielders are going to work really hard. They're going to control the ball. And whoever's playing as that right-sided central midfielder is going to have to accommodate uh, Salah and Alexander-Arnold. Like, he's going to have to go and move where they aren't. That's how Liverpool worked. That's how they thrived. Then you have Virgil van Dijk cleaning things up in the back. Well, when... Some of those players are injured, and some of those players are old, and some of those players are now no longer on the team, and some of the players you've replaced those other players with don't really have super clear roles and haven't at club level. Nunez was played as a nine. He was played on the wing. Gakpo's played everywhere under the sun. Like, it's difficult. So all of those reasons, and I'm sure we'll dig into each of them in a bit more depth, Like all of those reasons, I think, contribute to why Liverpool are a sort of above average but not great Premier League team at this point. Graham, is it is it fair to say that Jurgen Klopp has a less uh, flexible playbook than maybe some other elite managers? Like you can say what you like about Pep Guardiola, but the, the system has evolved. Uh, you know, he's you know bringing in someone like Erling Haaland. He's had big strikers in his teams before Ibrahimovic and so on. But the way he can sort of change things with and move the ingredients around a little bit, is it fair to say that Klopp doesn't quite have that in his locker, or maybe not even the players at his disposal to to change things up? 
I think that might have been a fair criticism of him in maybe the first phase of his his time as Liverpool manager. I think as he moved into the second phase and he's starting to transition Liverpool into a more possession um, orientated uh, uh, approach style of play, then he personally as a manager started to broaden his his options. And I think this season we have seen him try different things so I'd, I'd argue he wasted the first half of the season by hoping that things would just turn around but I think since the World Cup uh, since the World Cup, Cup Klopp has um, has has tried a different uh, different styles different formations he's used Nunes and Salah as a front two he's used Gakpo in the left wing he's used a midfield three he's used a midfield double pivot um, I'm, to my knowledge, I'm, I don't think he's tried a back three. He does tend to stick with the with the back four, with the the wing backs, wing backs or the full backs, I should say, pushing up high. So maybe that's one uh, deviation he could make in the future, or maybe should have made before now, given how the the, the full backs I think has been a real pressure point for Liverpool this season. But I I do think he has tried to find solutions this year. And that is what has probably led to a lot of his frustration. I mean, after the Chelsea game in midweek there, where they drew nil nil, which isn't a isn't an atrocious result for Liverpool, but it really did feel like a team that is just stuck in a rut. Where he made a number of changes to that team, a lot of the big names came out: no Van Dijk, no Salah, no Robertson, no no Alexander Arnold, no Gakpo, and it still kind of just felt like Liverpool got the same performance out of the out of the players on the pitch. And actually, one of the things that is slightly unusual for 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 Klopp is he has started kind of being more critical of his own players, which is a big departure for him, given that at Liverpool's best. He defended them with everything he's got, and that was a key part of his character as a, as a coach. As he gets players fighting for him, and there there was a hint of desperation in those comments after the Chelsea game, and it's the sort of thing that Mourinho and Conte have got wrong when things have turned against them as well. So I think Klopp has to be careful with that, but I do have a degree of sympathy from a tactical point of view, where he has tried some different things. Injuries have also prevented him from achieving any sort of degree of consistency where maybe one thing works like Nunes and Salah was working as a front two for quite a while for for maybe a, a three or four games and then I believe Darwin Nunes gets injured and all of a sudden he can't he can't play those two together so I think I have more sympathy for Klopp in this situation than a lot of the players who for my money at this point just need sort of transitioned out of this Liverpool team. Yeah, and to dig further into the injury thing for just a, a quick second, we don't need to dwell too long on this because the idea of Liverpool being injured is not too complicated to understand. But from what I found and from watching games this year, they've had more injuries than any other team in the Premier League. So at least as of two weeks ago, which is w- where I, I saw this data being cited, Liverpool players missed 162 total Premier League matches this season. So if, if Thiago missed a match as an example and Fabinho missed that same match, that would count as two, right? So Liverpool sitting at 162, Chelsea is the next closest team at 124, right? So they have dealt with a ton of injuries at the time. City were all the way down in 19th on this list with 49. So everybody deals with injuries. Everybody misses players. But Liverpool really, with some of the players they've missed, Luis Diaz has been out. Diego Jota has been out. Uh, like Konate, Robert, I mean, they've been missing a ton of players this year, a lot of important ones as well. And for a squad where their core, their core players, at least in the attack and, and even in central midfield, are aging, it's even harder, I think, to deal with some of those knocks. Yeah, and I think the age of a lot of those players is is a key factor. I know it's it's been touched upon 
um, a couple of times here already, but it's worth outlining the actual age of some of these players. So if you look through the, the team and the, the key figures over the last few years, Mohamed Salah, he's 30, Thiago, 31, Virgil van Dijk, 31, Alison Becker, 30, Roberto Firmino, 31, Andy Robertson, 29, Fabinho, 29, uh, Jordan Henderson, 32, James Milner, 37, Joel Matip, 31. So that's the bulk of their starting group, and you can clearly see the emerging problem that Klopp has. And it's, a, it's a, maybe a bigger problem for Klopp than, most, than it would be for most managers because, of course, so much of his approach is based on high energy and high intensity. And what's the, what's the term again? Uh, heavy metal football heavy metal, and yeah. gig and pressing and everything. So that is, I think, a, a, a key part of why this feels very much like the end of a cycle for Liverpool. Well, on, on that note, Graham, this is uh, Jurgen Klopp's eighth season with Liverpool. He is the longest serving Premier League manager, uh, the third longest serving manager in English soccer at the moment as well. I believe he's gone a season longer here than he did with both Borussia Dortmund and Mainz. So it feels like like the seven year mark might be his his cycle, like his his max with with a team as far as he can push a team possibly. And and people point to his time at Dortmund um, as an explanation for what is happening happening this season. And and at Dortmund, there was certainly in his final year there, it felt like the air was just let out of the balloon very quickly. And the theory was that his gig impressing style, it just wore out players to the point that they didn't have anything else to offer. Um, that might be the case. But right now there is that uncertainty because Liverpool had a fallow year in 2021. They had just a similar sort of season where they were they were dodging around in mid-table for a lot of that season. They actually end up scraping a third-place finish, which f- felt like a little, bit, a little bit of an anomaly because they spent a lot of that season, as I say, in mid-table and, and not playing very impressive football. But that was put down to that emotional come-down from winning the Premier League title, obviously Liverpool's first Premier League title the season before. And so people wrote it off as a fallow year, and this is them going to be building again. And obviously last season they were two games away from winning a quadruple. But now you have another fallow year. So out of the last three seasons, two of them have been underwhelming for Liverpool. And that's where the concern starts to build, that this is more than just an emotional and physical drop-off from Liverpool and they're going to build up again next season. Is this something a little bit more? Or will a summer break and a preseason snap them back into being the Liverpool of old? Graham, you, you mentioned there Liverpool and, and some of the age issues. And I think that's a really good point in some of the discussion around Klopp. I think it's totally fair. I want to drill back down into one more time, like the squad. And not on the injury side, not even really on the age side. But one of the things that made Liverpool so special at the height of their powers that they're competing for Champions Leagues, like they're winning trophies, they're at the top of the Premier League. One of the things that's made them so dangerous and so special over the last you know, five, six, seven years is how many transfers they've hit on, right? That's another factor here that I think has to be considered. You think about some of the players they've brought in, Salah, Mane, Firmino, Virgil van Dijk, Andy Roberts. Like the list goes on and on of these players that they've identified that have turned into genuine superstars, like top three, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten players at their position in the world. Like Liverpool's hit rate has been unbelievably high to the point where it's not sustainable, right? Liverpool, we think of as this giant club, and they are a giant club. They're a massive club. We'll talk more about you know a lot of the details behind that later and their ownership, and, and I guess now some of the question marks there. But they're a big club. They are not Man City big. 
they are not spending like Chelsea big. You go through and look at some of their spending from the 2021-22 season to now, starting at the, the beginning of that year in terms of transfers. Liverpool, Liverpool have spent just the ninth most on transfer fees in the Premier League. The salary spend is high, right? It's still high. It's higher than the transfer spend. You know, even that, though, is fourth in the Premier League. So for a while now, Liverpool have essentially outkicked their coverage. They have identified players that have been incredible, and they've done that at an incredible hit rate. Like, they've, they've accomplished both of those things. They found good players, and they've done that at a rate higher than anybody, almost anybody. That's, that's impossible to sustain forever, right? You can't, you can't be a team that consistently, or it's really, really hard to do so, especially at the, the highest levels of the game, and the Premier League is that, and the top of the Premier League is that even more so. Like, you can moneyball your way through a lot of this stuff. Liverpool have, have never fully moneyballed here because they have money to spend, but, like, they're not, they're not going to be able to sustain where they've been without more cash flowing either through their books or through the transfer windows, any of that stuff. So along with Klopp, along with the injuries and some of the, the tactical adjustments and personnel stuff, like, I think the, the transfer side and the recruitment side and the spending side, all of those things are major considerations as well. Yeah. And that's the counterpoint that Liverpool themselves might make when people say things like they need to rebuild the squad. Liverpool have actually tried to rebuild certain areas of their squads already. They spent €47 million on Luis Diaz. They spent €40 million on Konate. They spent €80 million on Darwin Nunes. They spent €42 million on Cody Gakpo. They spent €60 million on Naby Keita. Everyone talks about the, the midfield issues that Liverpool have this season. Keita was meant to be one of the big solutions to, to yep. those issues. He was a preemptive strike from Liverpool. He was meant to be their next great central midfielder. He's at a contract this summer. It looks like he's going to leave on a free. He's not been a success for Liverpool. So, Joe, you're absolutely right to spotlight the, the transfer success that Liverpool had over a number of years, um, which allowed them to maximise their resources. I mean, if you look at the period between 2016 and 2018... Incredible. Their most expensive signings in that period were Gini Wijnaldum, Sadio Mane, Virgil van Dijk, and Mohamed Salah. <laughs> All four of those players went on to not just be good players for Liverpool, become like club legends for Liverpool. That is completely unsustainable. This, this summer after that, they then sign Alisson Becker and Fabinho. So that is just an incredible run. And as you say, Joe, it wasn't sustainable, especially when Michael Edwards, who was the sporting director, the man who was credited with, and look, I don't know how much of this is uh, is sort of spin and and glorification, but he was meant to be the mastermind who who devised this this bulletproof transfer strategy for Liverpool, um, and he left about eighteen yeah. months ago from Liverpool, and I actually do think as much as maybe. Uh, Edward's role was was glorified slightly. I think you can see a drop off in the transfer activity, and also just the sort of players that Liverpool have been going for more recently. They're going for more sort of obvious transfer targets like Darwin Nunes, like Cody Gakpo, where Liverpool at their best in the transfer market were finding undervalued gems that they yeah. could fit into Jurgen Klopp's system. And I'm not convinced they're really doing that to the same extent anymore. Yeah, and the only other name I'd add to that, Graham, I think you're you're smart to mention some of the individuals associated with Liverpool's success that aren't Jurgen Klopp and aren't the players themselves. Ian Graham is one other name to toss out there. He was their director of research. He re resigned in November of last year. You're talking about finding undervalued players, like somebody that's doing and directing your analytics work and a lot of the recruitment side. And Ian Graham has talked about in the past 
how difficult it is to, to land transfers. There's a dozen factors that can cause a transfer to fail, right? Your player, the attitude might not be what you thought. The skill level might not be what you thought. Injuries might come into play. Your style, like there's so many factors here. And Liverpool managed to line things up so, so well with Ian Graham involved, at least, you know, at a higher rate than so many others. And now with him out, the the transfer success is maybe not where it's been. It also hasn't been enough time for us to draw firm conclusions, right? A lot of the players you mentioned, Graham, Kanate, Keita, like maybe we are a little bit closer to drawing conclusions on those. You know, maybe Luis Diaz, who's missed a lot of the season with injury, you know, we shouldn't go quite so far because he was spectacular for them. He's been good. of last year. Right, I mean, so, but your point was still absolutely correct. Like the, the hit rate is is decreasing and somebody like Ian Graham leaving the club could, you know, maybe negatively impact that. I hope the throwing coach hasn't left. He's must be pretty <laughs> integral as well, right? He's a, I think he's a contractor. So I think he's like, you know, going out yeah. to whoever's going to pay him the most bucks, Ryan. So maybe that's the the real downfall here. Oh boy, oh boy, we should yeah. look into that one. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk more about a potential rebuild at Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp's future, and much more. New game day shirt, boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate, boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Dealer. Welcome back to the big thing on Total Soccer Show. We've been talking about the cyclical nature of soccer, I suppose, uh, with, with um, Liverpool's transfer hit rate. And I suppose you could say that success is cyclical as well in this game, isn't it? No one can stay at the top forever. So maybe we're, uh, the, the, they're due some slightly less celebrated Apart years. Apart from than, City, they stay uh, at the top forever. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's true, I suppose, yeah. Defeated my point there, but Graham, um, City tend to refresh their squad quite regularly and um, sort of a gradual, a gradual rebuild, I suppose you could call it. What do Liverpool need to do now? How much do they need to tear down to get back to uh, winning ways? So my kind of catch-all theory on this is that things are never quite as bad as 
you might think they are. I used that with Manchester United last season and I feel quite good about that this season. Obviously, they're they're in a much better place now. Um, they did, though, sign a good number of players in the summer and I think Liverpool will need to do something similar. And everyone talks about the midfield being the key area that needs attention and that's because that's because it's true. Um, there was a good athletic piece from earlier in the season which looked at the counter-pressing and pressing numbers uh, from Liverpool this season compared to last season and previous seasons under Klopp and highlighted a number of the midfielders in that regard and their numbers have just completely fallen off a cliff and that is a big problem for Liverpool because if the midfield is not winning the ball high up the pitch, then the attack isn't getting the, the ball in as high quality areas and the defence is left more vulnerable as well. And how many times have we seen Liverpool this season being cut open because there's been, just been no pressure on the ball in the centre of the pitch? So the midfield would be the first place that I would, I would look to. I think Liverpool need box-to-box operators, at least one of those players. Jude Bellingham, um, I'm amazed we've got this far in the podcast without mentioning him, given how much speculation there has been around him this season and with regards to Liverpool's interest in, in him in particular, he would certainly fit the bill. But if they get Jude Bellingham, that's likely all that Liverpool are going to be able to afford. And in fact, some recent reports suggest that even if it is just Bellingham they go after, they're not going to be able to compete with Manchester City and Real Madrid for, for him. So... I think Liverpool need to go back to being um, sort of transfer market card counters, which is obviously easier said than done. But this big name, big money strategy they've had in the post-Edwards age hasn't really worked for them. I think you do the scouting, you do the analysis, you work out where the value is and you trust Klopp to fit the players that you you sign him into another good team with a coherent vision. Because as good as Jude Bellingham is, and look, he makes a world of difference to this Liverpool team if you put him into that into that side I'm still not convinced that that bridges the gap from where Liverpool are now to where Manchester City and Arsenal have been this season I think Liverpool need more they probably need two or three players just for that midfield unit and they can't do that with with the resources that they have they can't get Bellingham and also do that additional work yeah Liverpool are in a tough spot Ryan you you led Graham in with that question of saying what do Liverpool need to do to get back I I agree in some ways with Graham that things are probably not as bad as they seem. Like I, I don't think Liverpool are too far away from being a top-four team again. And, and who knows? They might get there this season. I think they are a long way away at this point from being a title team. You know, we talked about them coming into the year. I talked about them as a title contender, not expecting things to fall off as aggressively as they have, especially without the ball. The attack has been, has been good, and I think it can even be a bit better when you figure out how to get... Darwin Nunez, when you figure out how to get Cody Gakpo, Diaz, Sal, like when you get the pieces together and you find the roles that fit really well for them, I don't feel like Liverpool have gotten there. Without the ball and, and even some of the work deeper down the field in possession, I I have concerns about, like I have real concerns. Graham, I think you said it there really well. Liverpool probably need a couple of central midfield signings to get there. Then then what about the middle of the back line? Like Virgil van Dijk is getting older and older and you're putting more pressure on him all the time. Konate is a think a good player but is is not a Van Dyke level central defender and that's basically what made Liverpool tick in transition was having Van Dyke there to sweep things up so what do you do there like can you even find that player and can you afford them while also fixing your central midfield and also maybe adding in another attacker because you think about Man City and the quality that they have they really are the barometer in so many ways Arsenal credit to them for the season they're having but their depth is, is nowhere near where Man City's is 
Liverpool are are far from that. And Graham, you said it well. Like they don't have the resources to go out there. They're not willing to use the resources to go out there and sign Jude Bellingham for a hundred and whatever million pounds it's, it's going to cost them, and also find another central midfielder for the you know twenty, thirty, forty million. Also find a defender. I mean, like it, it, I have a hard time, fellas. To be honest, I have a really hard time envisioning Liverpool reaching the heights where they were ever again, at least under this current ownership and with the way the Premier League has gone. I would also highlight the, the fullback areas as well, because the fullbacks for Liverpool are, look, in the modern age, fullbacks are important for every team, but for Liverpool, they are especially important from a creativity point of view. And again, there are some good articles out there looking at, in particular, Trent Alexander-Arnold's creativity numbers and how they have they have dropped off dramatically this season. And look, maybe that's linked to the midfield. Maybe you give him more protection. You have that central midfielder. The role that Jordan Henderson used to used to do of drifting out to the right to provide that protection. Maybe the creativity numbers from Alexander go, Alexander Arnold go up again. He is a hugely talented player. He has the potential to be one of the best right backs of his generation. So I'm not saying throw the the baby out with the bathwater with Alexander-Arnold but I would strengthen the fullback areas to at least provide some competition because at the moment the competition for Alexander-Arnold is 37-year-old James Milner and on the left side Simicast is a decent option but it doesn't really feel like Andy Robertson's position is under serious threat on that side as well and similar with him I think his numbers have dropped off as well so the fullback areas for me is, is, is another place where Liverpool might have to look to and basically what Joe and I have done, I've just highlighted the midfield, the attack, the central defence and the fullbacks, which is pretty much the whole team besides Alison Becker, the goalkeeper. So that, that is painting a little bit of a depressing picture for Liverpool fans. Would it also slightly depress Liverpool fans, Graham, to consider the transfer market? Consider someone like Jude Bellingham, if he has Real Madrid as an option, if he has Man City as an option, is he going to choose Liverpool at this point? And is, is that going to be a, a, a something they're going to come up with with a lot of elite players? Well, I think Liverpool have sent Agent Henderson on England duty to try and persuade Bellingham to join Liverpool. <laughs> there is a lot of... Uh, I think the two of them are actually good friends, but there's a lot of activity on Instagram of Jordan Henderson. Like, look at me and my best mate Jude Bellingham in the ice bath together. And I th- yeah, I think there's a lot of Agent Henderson uh, activity going on there. But... You're right. When you compare what Liverpool can offer to certainly Manchester City, I mean, what Man City can offer right now is kind of what Man United at their peak under Ferguson could offer signings, which is season on season, we're going to compete for every piece of silverware. How how do you, how do you better that? <laughs> how do you improve on that pitch? Real Madrid have a similar sort of thing in Spain. Obviously, they have this thing with the Champions League where they're competitive every single year, and then there's a, there's a, a a magic and an allure around Real Madrid as well, which maybe Liverpool have to a certain extent as well. But I agree, Liverpool's sales pitch this season has has weakened. Maybe last summer was the time for them to go and get Jude Bellingham, where they were competitive for four seasons, eh, four trophies, excuse me, and they could maybe argue that they were the only team that could, could compete with City on on that level. But right now, it's tough for them. Two things. So first of all, credit to Dortmund, man, for sliding in. For, what was it? Birmingham City is that where Bellingham was? Yeah, playing in the Championship. Snagging him just after they retire his jersey. Touching, really, is what that was. <laughs> yeah. uh, like, like to go and find Bellingham, who has become the apple in the eye of basically every elite club in England, they're going to make a lot, a lot, a lot of money on Jude Bellingham. So that is a great piece of business from Dortmund. Uh, the Liverpool side, 
I don't know Jude Bellingham. There's a shocker. I, I don't I don't have his number. I haven't been on the ice path with him. You don't? If if you want no, I know, crazy. Huh. I, I no, I keep telling everybody that I do, and I told you guys that before we started, but I lied. <laughs> um like if I'm Jude Bellingham, I, I can go to Liverpool and be the guy. Like there is some appeal there, right? Like there's some appeal to being the one that sort of refreshes things, that comes in a very successful club, and you're going to be the key man in midfield. Like, everything is going to flow through you in as much as it can flow through one one soccer player. Is that not the like, case for every team, though? As good as Jude... Like, that's how good Jude Bellingham is. is if he, he goes to Man City, he'll become, he becomes the guy. If he goes to Real Madrid, he's the guy there as well. Oh, okay. I guess we have very different definitions of the guy. Um, I would think of Erling Holland and De Bruyne as both being, like, the go-to players for Man City, especially De Bruyne. For... For Real Madrid, we uh, yesterday's show we talked a lot about Vinicius Junior and Benzema. Like, like he's no, there's no way he's wrestling control and priority over those players at Liverpool. You know, maybe you you think about Salah as being that player, but every year that passes, he's less and less of that player. Like Bellingham, I think could absolutely be the man at Liverpool relative to you know, where he'd be on the pecking order at City or at Real Madrid. Like, I I don't even think it's remotely close. I don't know that that's that appealing. Like, like I said, I I don't know what June Bellingham values. Does he want to go out there? And be a, a favorite for a title? Probably. Does he want to go out there and make a bunch of money? He'll do that everywhere. Does he want to go out there and, and be the guy to, to lead somebody? I don't know what he's going to want. I would lean, and if I was him, I, I like winning. Like I think City would be a, a better place to go and do that. But maybe there's something to be said for. Maybe there's something to be said for going to Liverpool and being the man for Jurgen Klopp. All right, so we've established that the key areas that Liverpool need to rebuild in are all areas. <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe we should have a talk about the area on the bench, the managerial area. In fact, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about Jurgen Klopp and what it would take for him to part ways with this team back shortly. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show, and I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the, 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 uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic, and they, all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you're connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. 
And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to the big thing. We are talking Liverpool, and specifically at this moment, Jurgen Klopp. Joe, it feels to me like the relationship that Jurgen Klopp has with Liverpool is that they wouldn't fire him. It would be yep. that he walks away honourably. That is the narrative that we are presented with. Do you think that's eventually what will happen? Maybe it will happen this summer. Or do you think there's going to be a point where FSG, Fenway Sports Group say, Jurgen, we've got someone else. Frank Lampard's free now. It's time for you to go. <laughs> yeah, we got to get Frankie in the door. That's what has to happen. Um, I think it will always be one of two things. It will be Jurgen Klopp deciding this has run its course. I've had success. It's time to move on. Or it will be sort of a mutual realization of FSG saying, yeah, Jurgen, it's time to go. And then looking at Jurgen and Jurgen going, yeah, no, it, it is time to go as he polishes his glasses. Like it, it's going to be one of those things. It's never going to be Liverpool like not telling Jurgen Klopp and Fabrizio Romano tweeting it out. Like, that's that's not going to happen. Like, I would be utterly shocked if, even if we saw two more seasons like this, if that ever happened. Klopp has so much cachet with this club, and he should. He's earned it in, in a lot of different respects. So, that said, and the fact that Klopp does have a lot of political capital inside the club, you know, he's not going to be around forever. He's not going to be here if they have another season like this one. Like, like if they go through, and I do think Jurgen Klopp will be back again next season. I do think he's going to have the first crack at trying to lead what is now very clearly a, you, you know, in sports, like we, we always say, if a good team is rebuilding, they're retooling. And if a bad team is rebuilding, they're rebuilding. Liverpool are like right on the edge of those things. That's what we've talked about, what they need to do. Like either way, Klopp is going to be the guy who gets the first crack at leading this project and trying to better their performances from this year. If it doesn't work, even if it's, it's mid-season, I, I think the clock is very much then ticking for Klopp, and it, it really wouldn't surprise me if Liverpool struggle if he realizes, yeah, this this is not the right situation for me. The club needs another voice. I need a new project, whatever that looks like. I think that's I think that's what we're looking at here. Yeah, I, I, I largely agree, Joe. I think where things could get interesting is if next season starts poorly and the same problems of this season are still evident in the performance. And that's where Liverpool could end up in their own sort of late-stage Arsene Wenger situation where loyalty to the past is the thing holding them back from kind of moving forward and, and cutting their losses, I guess. I mean, Klopp, Klopp made some strange comments earlier in the week regarding his own future where he called himself, quote, the last man standing. And then he admitted that the last few years are what are keep what's keeping him in a job right now because this season has been so bad. Um, and it was kind of bizarre because while I think there has been some tentative chat about what if this continues next season and a lot of the discussion around Klopp this season has sort of been people asking themselves and others, is Klopp under pressure? Is, 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 is that a factor here? Is that what, what's happening here? I think the conclusion from that has been no, he's not really under pressure. He's not going to lose his job this season. But nobody has really genuinely called his position into question. So for him to bring it up on his own accord is, is, is I guess, notable somewhat. Um, I think Klopp has made some mistakes with this team this season. 
I know I said I had sympathy with him and that all that all stands, but I do think in some instances he has been a little bit too faithful to some of his old favourites, players like Henderson, Fabinho, even Alexander-Arnold in games that maybe he should have come out of. Even Salah this season uh, at times perhaps should have been dropped from the from the team. Klopp has stuck by those players. And look, I get it. Those players have delivered so much for him over the past few seasons that he, perhaps justifiably so, thinks, well, they'll deliver for me again. But that loyalty has been on the verge of stubbornness at times from Klopp. So he has made mistakes. He's not he's not faultless in all of this. But nonetheless, it, it would take a lot for him to be sacked by Liverpool. Um, I think he's got so much credit in the bank that Liverpool will will think he's the best man to rebuild this team. And I, I kind of agree with them. If, if Liverpool were to sack Klopp at the end of this season and say, look, we're going to rebuild, who do they get that is better qualified than Jurgen Klopp to do that job I can't see anyone out there so I think he's pretty safe for the time being all right you might have answered my next question then Graham because I'm going to give you a scenario you are John Henry congratulations on that uh we're at the end of the season Liverpool sorry sorry to cut in Graham can I have a car please or something else that's expensive um if I can have Billy Bean to coach the Red Sox then you can have a car (laughs) Deal. <laughs> you could have had anything. You went for a cut. Okay, yeah. I, I know. Mean, yeah. I couldn't. I, I got yeah. caught up, Lauren. I got lost in the sauce. <laughs> so, uh, what, you are John Henry. It's the end of the season. Uh, Liverpool finish sixth or seventh. Finish the season empty-handed, but you know it's not terribly embarrassing. What do you do in May or June, Graham? Do you give him another run? As you say, he's probably the best qualified in this role. He has been. He is. He's a Liverpool legend. He's going to get a statue, isn't he? He's like. It's going to be mm-hmm. him and Shankly with statues outside that stadium, realistically, and that says a lot given their '80s success as well. So, what what would you do? Would would you have the conversation like, we want you to walk away now, and they do the, they manage it so that he gets to say goodbye, or do you give him another run? No, absolutely. Give him another run. I mean, he built that team up in the first place. So I would trust that much like Guardiola has done at Man City or Ferguson did it a number of times at Manchester United, that he would have the expertise to build that team up again. Uh, the, the revamp that I would that I would, uh, that I would enact, and I've already kind of hinted at this, would be in sort of the, the, the analytics room and the recruitment department and kind of going back to what worked for Liverpool in the past, um, which is getting maximising their resources and looking for undervalued gems. That That's that's where I'd make a big change. But in terms of the management of the club, um, no, I would stick with club. All right, Joe, same scenario for you. You're, you're John Henry. You've got your nice car. It's a 2015 ah. Kia Sportage. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> is that what good? would you do in that scenario? Is that I, is that good? You said Kia, so I think that's bad. Did I, did I hear 2015 that Sportage is a, is a vintage Kia, yeah. Mm, South okay. Korea is fine. Nice. Kia's are quite yeah. nice. I'll be uh, yeah. okay. All right, <laughs> I'm gonna buy myself a different car. But I tried, Joe, I tried to pick the most uh, sort of average middle class car I could okay. think of, and that, it was a 2015 Kia Sportage. <laughs> that's what I thought. But I know the least about cars of anyone in this vehicle, <laughs> I, anyone in this podcast. <laughs> Sorry, right? I got so uh, I got so lost there. The the question is, what do I do if I'm John Henry about Jurgen Klopp? Is that the question? And yeah, and if you want to trade in your car, we can talk about that as well. But mainly, I would, that's, that's the cop thing. That's what I would prefer to talk about. But no, I, I'm letting it ride for now. Like uh, Graham, you you got to a lot of this. I think he is the guy that you want to give the first crack at all this. I mentioned that earlier. I think there are going to be a lot of other moving pieces and parts at the club, and there should be on the transfer side. Uh, you know, 
There's going to be outgoings as well. We've talked a lot about needed incomings. Roberto Firmino is is going. That kind of signals the end of an era. Maybe Luch Feinstein is going to benefit from Liverpool's loss on that front. Who knows what's going to happen there? But there will be players going out. There should be, and will be some. There should be more likely players coming in. In general, I think if you can let the manager who you know can lead a group to success stick around for a little bit longer and try to get another year or two out of it if you sort of are on the uptick, I think that's where you want to be. That's where I, John Henry, want to be in my Kia. I don't want to be in my Kia, but that's where I want to be as a club. <laughs> you know, I, I genuinely don't know if that's going to work, right? I, I, I would like to communicate, and I think I have. Liverpool are facing an uphill battle to become title contenders and title favorites again. I don't even know if Jurgen Klopp can get them back there, but he would be the guy I'd, I'd let have the first chance to do it. Yeah, and the other thing about Klopp, we've kind of focused on footballing factors here, but Jurgen Klopp has a very deep understanding of, of Liverpool as a club, and not just Liverpool as a club, but the cultural and societal landscape of Liverpool as a city as well. And and that sort of stuff matters. I mean, look at Antonio Conte at Spurs. He never fully grasp, grasped the identity of, of, of that club, and it became a real factor in him leaving that club. Jurgen Klopp... Um, politically as aligned with Liverpool as, as a city, as, as a club. He has that connection with the, the fan base, which he has used to his advantage a number of times over the years. So show me another manager that's on the shelf that is as qualified as Klopp, that has won titles in Germany and England and is a Champions League winner and also has that sort of cultural and societal alignment with Liverpool as a club and a city. There, there's, there's no one. There's no one out there. So you stick with Klopp, I think. Fair enough. Okay. Well, let's talk about FSG then, Graham. How much do we blame them for this current situation? Well, maybe we're making it sound a lot worse than it is. As you you outlined near the start of this show, things probably aren't as bad as we say they are. And it's not as if FSG have not spent any money at all. They've given Klopp support and buying in players, not inexpensive Mm. players as well. Can Can we say they haven't done enough? So this is this is a delicate um, discussion because I know a lot of Liverpool fans are not so keen on FSG as owners. There's been quite a lot of um, bad sentiment towards them in recent seasons. I think the Super League was was a bit of a turning point in in that regard. So yeah. Liverpool were one of the six English clubs that signed up to the European Super League, um, and John Henry and FSG faced a lot of backlash for that. And I'm, I think a lot of fans haven't really recovered the relationship with the owners from that moment but the fact of the matter is that FSG are limited in terms of their resources compared to other Premier League owners so FSG as as a as a group has a an estimated value of nearly eight billion dollars for context the Saudi PIFF fund that owns Newcastle United has a worth of over six hundred billion dollars. That's more. Sheikh Mansour, who is that? Is more? Yes. Mm. A quick math check here. Uh, do my sums. Yes, that is more. Ryan, you're mm. correct. Um, Sheikh Mansour, who is the Man City owner, his personal net worth is seventeen billion dollars. So not six hundred billion, but still a lot more than FSG's net worth. So I don't know if FSG are to blame. That's maybe not the right the right term, but it, it, they are certainly a factor in Liverpool seemingly hitting the ceiling in financial terms under these owners. And that circles us all the way back around to what Joe said earlier in the show, which is un- under in, in this situation, in these circumstances, under these owners, Liverpool will find it very difficult to get back to where they were before. Yeah, and, and to piggyback right off of that, like this is the absolute bizarro world that we live in now. 
where to be considered to be a top team in the Premier League, to be considered to be a title challenger, or at least to have the the muscle of a Man City, to have a muscle of a Newcastle, like you you have to be owned by someone or something absolutely gigantic, like not just a billionaire. Like you need an entity with so much more than that. Like you need someone who's willing to spend and spend and spend. And Chelsea have done that, and they've shown some of the dangers of maybe doing that without a lot of reason. So you also need some efficiency. You also need need some brains behind the operation. But it is absurd at this point in the Premier League, in, in the, the cycle of the league and the cycle of global soccer, that like we're comparing these very rich people to like nations and nation states. And for us to say, you know, Liverpool, they've spent money. Like they're spending a lot of money in the Premier League. You know, I talked about the salary stuff earlier. Like they're top four, top five in, in that regard there's still, it seems to be, a ways off from these other clubs. Like, I talked about this with with Tottenham, and I think it, it rubs some folks the wrong way, but I, I do think it's right. It's not that these teams cannot win the title. Like, Liverpool, you come in next year, if they win the title after a slight refresh, like, would that shock any of us? No. No, it wouldn't, because they're still a very good squad. They have talent. They have some depth. They have leadership. Like, it wouldn't be a, a major surprise, but would we expect them to then win it again? And then to do it again? Or, or to be in the top two four, three, four, five years in a row? Probably not, right? Like, we're at the point where it's going to start to feel, or at least this is my thought, it's going to start to feel more like an anomaly when a team like Arsenal outkicks their coverage for a season and wins the Premier League trophy, which could happen this year. It's going to feel more like an anomaly if a team like Liverpool, with where they are right now and what's being invested into the squad currently by FSG, it's going to feel like an anomaly when they win the title. So it's mm-hmm. it's a weird place. Like, it's a really weird bizarro world that we're in right now where it seems like money is what dominates a lot of this stuff like that's the one thing that we still feel like we really do know about soccer is that teams in in some of these european leagues that spend more money on salaries tend to do better like that's money that you spend Mm. on your squad is the thing that that really nicely correlates with success not every time that's how correlation works it's not going to be perfect every time but like it's we're in a weird world right now Mm mm-hmm one one of the things with FSG that I wouldn't like if I was a, a Liverpool fan is the fact that essentially they're out they they what they want out of this is to make money. They they bought Liverpool for 300 million in 2010. They now value the club at around 4 billion. There was the story earlier this season that they were looking to sell the club. They've now kind of uh, rolled that back a little bit. They're now kind of looking at minority investments but ultimately from everything i've read fsg's plan is still to flip liverpool and when they do that they're going to make a huge profit on that investment that initial investment of 300 million pounds they're, they're going to make billions out of that so from just a a, a fundamental a, a, as we've talked about many times i i it makes me uncomfortable that billionaires own football clubs certainly makes me uncomfortable that billionaires and groups like fsg buy football clubs to then make money because for me football clubs are community assets and certainly in a city like liverpool i think a lot of their fans would agree with that and the fact that fsg are are in this to make money maybe does restrict some of the money that they spend in the transfer market and if we look at the the revenue table from deloitte from 2021 liverpool are, are right up there in third place for for all football clubs around the world for for um for financial health, for revenue. They're only Man City and Real Madrid are ahead of them. Then they've got Manchester United, PSG, Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Chelsea, Spurs, Arsenal, Juventus. All of those clubs are behind Liverpool. And so Liverpool fans might look at that and say, well, yeah, 
we have spent money in the transfer market. We have spent 80 million euros on Darwin Nunes last summer. We spent 40 million euros on Cody Gakpo. But look at Chelsea. They've just spent 600 million euros in the last two transfer windows. We're not spending to that similar extent. That's maybe where some of the the unrest, the disgruntlement comes from Liverpool fans, and I can completely accept that. But again, to make the point of this is just the situation that Liverpool are in with these owners, this is the world that they're in right now. And I don't think FSG are going to change. So that that's just me kind of outlining my, some, some of my own personal thoughts and also trying to understand why there might be some, some unhappiness from the Liverpool fans about FSG's ownership of the club. We don't think Liverpool fans are grumbling at the, um, the club not spending like Chelsea, as in like six hundred million on a completely unbalanced squad. Well, no, they don't. <laughs> so they're quite happy not to have the players that Chelsea have signed. But I think a lot of Liverpool fans would quite like the six hundred million pound yeah. transfer outlay. And at the, at, funnily enough, at the Liverpool match that uh, they thumped Manchester United seven 0 this was poor timing for this. But before the game, an FSG out banner was flown above. Anfield, which was kind of lost in the chaos of that match. So there is a large section of their support that are quite unhappy with the ownership situation right now. Yeah, that's fair enough. I suppose, Joe, you articulated this very well. What we're ultimately saying is if for Liverpool to get back to the very top, to be competing year on year with Man City and those kind of clubs, it's unrealistic ultimately under their current model because they're not nation back, because they don't have those extra uh, billions in reserves, essentially. And it's when Manchester United, if they get taken over by by a nation state as well, we're going to have Newcastle, Man United and Man City in the Premier League with virtually long-term guarantees of success because, as you say, wealth is correlated to success in the Premier League and in global soccer generally. And Liverpool, long-term, aren't going to be able to get into that echelon because of their current ownership, Right. Agreed. Yeah, Ryan, you said that infinitely better than I did. The only thing I'd add to that is like, Liverpool outkicked their covers for so long because of the transfer stuff that we talked about earlier, right? You find that, you find a really good manager in Jurgen Klopp, you add in some production from your youth system and, and from England, like you have a really nice stew cooking. You take one of those pieces out of the puzzle, maybe when Jurgen Klopp leaves, you'll take two pieces out of the puzzle. Like Then you have rebuilding just to get back to the place where you can outkick your coverage. And it's tough. Like it is an uphill battle for these teams, and Liverpool has done it. Liverpool has has outperformed better than anybody in world soccer, at least at this level. Right? You think about some smaller clubs that have done a fantastic job, that have really heavily invested into data, into analytics, and and they've had a lot of success. Liverpool have done that, and they're sort of the test case at the the highest levels of sport. And they've had an incredible amount of success, and they will continue to have success in some ways at some point. But Ryan, to, to what you said, to what I've talked about earlier, to what we've all sort of gotten to on this show, it is going to be an uphill battle. It will indeed. But hey, Liverpool could be worse. You could be a League Two team with no money at all, <laughs> like the one I support, and it's a very different world. So, you know, still at the very top of the game, but maybe not the top, top, top of the game, to quote um, Harry Redknapp, Graham. Um, yeah. <laughs> at, least, at least Ryan Reynolds isn't taking your players, is what Ryan just said, basically. Yeah. Pretty much, pretty much. Uh, yeah, uh, fun times, fun times indeed. Now, very good discussion here, gents. Thank you very much. Joe Lowry, a pleasure chatting with you about Liverpool. Some great insight. Thank you. Right back at you, Ryan. And Graham, same thing, but your name instead of Joe's. Oh, thank you, Ryan Bailey. Uh, very sincere. I know you're welcome. Uh, listener, thank you very much for joining us on this big thing. We'll be back next week with plenty more on the feed. But for now, 
Bye. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.